The Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope our time together helps you thrive in life and leadership. Today's episode is brought to you by Ministry Grid. You can get $200 off the regular Ministry Grid price by going to ministrygrid.com slash carry and by Tithely. Get your free resource kit to help church leaders do fundraising better by going to increasegenerosity.com. Well, I've got Trip Crosby on the podcast. I've known Trip for a long time and I really admire his craft. Every once in a while, I like to bring a comedian on board because I admire comedians. I wish I was one and I am not. And uh, he's one of the funniest people I know, but also deep and really thoughtful and kind of has eclectic taste. He's done all kinds of things, including being on Family Feud recently. He's a comedic host, inspirational speaker, and filmmaker who at this very moment is writing about himself in the third person, as his bio says. (laughs) His uh, most popular comedy sketch, he's done a lot on YouTube, is called A Conference Call in Real Life. This video is one of the most popular workplace-related comedy sketches of all time and possibly the only YouTube video to go viral twice. Aside from creating video content, performing, and consulting teams, Tripp's real passion is connecting with his family and friends. He and his wife and three kids live in Alpharetta, Georgia, and, uh, well, he's just a fascinating uh, guy. So I think you're going to love this conversation. And uh, want to direct you to thinking about how you're equipping your volunteers for the fall. The fall's almost here. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's almost here. And uh, what are you going to do? What if you could streamline and standardize your volunteer onboarding process and trainings? If you want to do this, check out Ministry Grid. They have everything you need to streamline volunteer training all in one place. They've got over 700 courses. They have seen churches add their own content. So you can train the people in your church on everything from new membership classes to discipleship growth tracks. And you can turn other in-person classes into digital courses using the Ministry Grid platform. My Church Connects Church uses Ministry Grid. And podcast listeners, you will get $200 off the regular price. So For just $399 a year, you can get unlimited access for your church. Just go to ministrygrid.com slash carry to get this special offer. And pastors, you also know that the health of your church is deeply connected to the generosity of your members. And these are starting to be sketchy times as far as the economy is going. So how do you create a culture of generosity no matter what? Well, it's simpler than you think. Tithely has got a free tool that helps churches increase generosity through digital giving. It's never been more important, and they've got a resource kit to help you do fundraising better. So it's easy to download, and it includes a five-step plan for building a culture of recurring giving at your church. That's key. A practical guide for fundraising in the volatile environment of 2022 a bumper video for a sermon on generosity, and a lot more. So if you're interested in growing generosity at your church and the level of financial partnership your people have, uh, well, you can get this special offer just for listeners of this podcast. Get the free fundraising resource kit by simply going to increasegenerosity.com. That's increasegenerosity.com. Remember, this offer is exclusive to you. Head to increasegenerosity.com today. And now, my conversation with Trip Crosby. Trip, welcome to the podcast, man. I've been looking forward to this conversation. It's been years in the making. I am super flattered to be here. I know it's a good podcast when I tell a friend, or actually, I didn't even tell my friend Joe. 
he just texted me and said, why are you on Carrie Newhoff's podcast? <laughs> like, you don't qualify. That's how you that know is it's, it's a good podcast. Not true. Not true. And was that Joe or, or, or was that Tyler? But anyway, um, uh, hey, it's really good to be with you. And you and I have had lots of, we've, we have been on the same circuit, so to speak, and oh, had yeah. lots of green room conversations. And oh, yeah. There's so much more than you see on stage, uh, for those of you who know what Trip does, and he's masterful at it. So we're going to talk about that, but we're also just going to talk about life. We're going to talk about leadership and all of those things. So, um, you know, we did the bio already and that kind of thing, but you're probably, is it true that you're best known for uh, a conference call in real life? That's probably the piece that got the most reach of what you've done? Yeah. What are some Um, other pieces? Yeah. There was a point in time where I was probably most known for my YouTube channel, but then I got old and then I was sort of known for the one hit wonder, right? Uh, I was hosting an event a few weeks ago for Calendly. And when I introduced myself and told them I was the guy in that video, they were still kind of like, they're very kind, just kind of looking at me. And then I put up a still frame and everyone in almost unison was like, oh yeah. And I said, yeah, I'm that that guy. You forgot about me. I'm still here. I'm the guy (laughs) in that video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you produced the video, you shot the video, you directed the video, you wrote the video, you did all that stuff, right? Not alone, but I did. Yes. Uh, Technically, I was the director, but I co-created with my good friend. Sometimes I even say my best friend, but I always feel a little awkward doing that because I'm afraid he would never say it in return. I'm talking, of course, about Tyler Stanton, the funniest person I've ever known. Well, one of the interesting things too, I think I've known you for well over a decade, but you keep, you seem to keep evolving. So if you could give us like a snapshot (laughs) of what you're doing right now, because it's a lot bigger than people would realize people who've seen your comedy or people who've seen those, those, those sketches. Um, well in my field, whatever it is, you sort of have to evolve. YouTube, YouTube algorithms change, social media changes, Event events change. So the snapshot of what I'm doing now is I'm usually either involved with some sort of corporate event as an MC, or I'm working on some sort of commercial for a brand, uh, usually a social media bound comedy sales video, as we would call them. One so of those like a things. conference call in real life, which was, what was that an ad for? It wasn't. So that was oh, it wasn't. That our wasn't. first attempt uh, after years and years of finagling contracts with corporations so that we would get, what I, well, let me explain what I mean by that. For years, a company would hire us to make a funny video for them, for their event, for their internal campaign, whatever it was. And in our contract, we would make sure that we had the right to re-edit it and put it on our YouTube channel. So that way they were funding the type of content that we could have never afforded to make on our own. And eventually we had an audience and we were like, what if we had a brand just give us money to make whatever we want if we mentioned them at the end? So I went to LeaderCast, uh, which is this big leadership event that I used to have. I was there for seven years as their MC, And I said, hey, I've got this idea for a video. I think it will be wildly successful. At minimum, it's going to get tens of thousands of views because that's just what happens on our channel. 
uh, would you be willing to fund it? And we'll talk about you at the end. Well, that video went massively viral and it actually, it, it helped them, but it hurt them. Their sales department was what they would say is it broke it. They, they did not have the personnel or the processes in place to handle the volume of people calling in <laughs> to get tickets to the event. Uh, so that was our first sponsorship technically. <laughs> yeah. But it was a brilliant approach. I mean, because if you think about it, most corporations, and there's a lot of leaders listening who are into branding, a lot of corporations, they, they, don't, they don't know how to do comedy. And, you know, they'll, they'll try some half-baked effort yeah. or, you know, they'll make a, a lame joke. And so I thought that was a really innovative approach because if I've got my chronology right, that led to a series of videos that were different takes for companies. Yeah, that launched my on career. A similar template. That launched the last uh, 10 years of my career, that one video. Wow. So let's, let's break that down okay. a little bit because we have a lot of creatives, a lot of side hustle people. So prior to that, uh -huh. what, what, what were you doing? You were just being paid to host, like paid to host an I event, was, right? Yeah. Tyler and I were scrambling to figure out how we could make videos for our YouTube channel. We'd either do something cheap and scrappy ourselves, or we'd, like I mentioned, have some, a company somehow fund it. Um, and I had a production company. I've had a production company since 2004. Just, there was, I was just- it Used to be Green Tricycle It did, that's what it used to be. And yeah. we were a work for hire company. You know, we, we would make whatever you wanted us to. And we worked for churches and nonprofits and corporations alike. Uh, so I was just kind of like I am now. I was just taking on projects and the YouTube channel started growing. And, and with that, our requests started evolving. And instead of seeing us as a production company, people started to view us as creatives and they would hire us for our ideas more than the execution. They didn't care what kind of cameras we had or who we had on staff. They just wanted something as funny as what they saw on our channel. And, uh, that that's what sort of spurred on everything that exists today. Mm. And you were, you spent a lot of time hosting at Catalyst. Yeah. You would host at North yeah. Point events. You would host at LeaderCast. You continue the MC role, do you not? And the video yeah, production. And, and I've had a hard time reconciling um, why I like to do such vastly different things because all of the experts in my life would would encourage me to, and when I, when I read a book about personal branding or read success stories, there's always this level of focus that I can't seem to find because I have such a vested interest in being on a stage and I have such, such a vested interest, interest in filmmaking. And uh, my old manager used to tell me, really, it's just that I like to be in control and that's what it is. But but maybe he's right, and I'm sure he is to an extent. But at the end of the day, what I've realized in the last couple of years is that what I really what really lights my fire carry is connecting with people. And that's my way of doing it. I like to build a connection with an audience, especially. And I can do that on a stage and I can do it behind a camera. I can do it in front of a camera. That's that's what gets me going is is people. Well, and it's interesting, you know, you and I were talking, you know, before we hit record just about the MO of this podcast. 
and how if you look at it from a strategy or branding standpoint, it's kind of stupid. Like I go from talking to Malcolm Gladwell and get his backstory. And then I'm interviewing a guy about Mm -hmm. spiritual formation. And then we're talking about comedy on the next episode. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the outside voices sometimes say, well, you should pick a lane or you should focus. And I'm like, I I can't, I don't know. I just, I'm interested in all of this thing. Is that a similar thing to what you are discovering as well about yourself? It's a similar thing to what I'm not only discovering, but I'm working really hard to accept about myself. Uh, I, I I deal with a lot of self-judgment as I compare myself to these focused entrepreneurs out there who've spent 10, 15 years doubling down on the same thing and just slowly growing it. But what I'm learning is that, A, that's not the way I'm wired. And oftentimes creativity is inefficient and unpredictable. And that's what it has to be. (laughs) And I'm learning to not only accept that, but like it about myself. Uh, You know, I don't, I read a story the other day about uh, Pablo Picasso. He, wow, here comes an antidote. I'm not much of an antidote guy, but here comes one. I was just so blown away to learn that, as you would expect, he would do many, 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 many renditions of one painting till he got it right. But oftentimes, after doing many, 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 many renditions, he would end up landing on one of the first ones. Because that is what the creative process requires. It requires an openness and a level of exploration that is inefficient and unpredictable. Hmm. There's a really good insight in that. And the creative process. Yeah, I I heard a Picasso story. It's funny. I don't think I've told this one publicly. Because it could be apocryphal. I don't know. I never met Picasso. But apparently Picasso was in a restaurant once. And, and this is another word for creatives. Yeah, it's, I think it's worth telling. Picasso's in a restaurant once, and he's an old man. He's doodling on a napkin. And he's ready to go and leave it behind. And there's a woman sitting a couple tables over who realizes who he is and what's happening. And as he's getting up to leave, she says, do you mind if I have that napkin? I mean, I'd love to own a Picasso. And he's like, yeah, that'll cost you $100,000. And she goes, it took you 38 <laughs> seconds to draw it. He said, no, it didn't. It took me 70 years. Amen. It, it, that's, Boom. Right? That's it. Uh, it that creativity, I think, I think the ma- most masterful artists are the ones who are best at expressing a lifetime of feelings and insights and uh you, you know what? First of all, this is why I like talking about this stuff. I wanted to say this because I know there's a lot of people probably listening who are like, yeah. I'm not creative. I don't care about talking about art or comedy or whatever. But as leaders, uh, I think we have to understand how how creative people work. I think we're all hoping for our organizations to be innovative. I know we are. There was, a, there was an article, I used this in my keynote. Uh, there's an article a few years back, the World Economic Forum put out about how much creativity has moved up the list on what employers are looking for in new candidates. And it went from like number 12 to number two, hmm. right? Because innovation is everything now. You got to keep up. It doesn't matter if you are a, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. You've got to innovate. and. And I work with a lot of corporations and what I see 
is a strong desire. I, I just did an event for, I'm not going to say the company because this is going to be sort of a, a knock. It was a, it was a very, a very big company. You would know exactly who they are. And they were putting out this message to their whole marketing team across the world saying, we want to be a creative, innovative company. We want to, we want you to bring ideas to the table. And what I was thinking is like, that sounds great, but I bet you don't know how to do that. I bet you have, like, I wonder if these people <laughs> that work here feel like they can, yeah. like you can say that, but are they in an environment that welcomes new ideas? Are they in an environment that takes a risk on unpredictable ideas? Like, are you? Because I would put my money that you're probably not because that's just what I see. And, and, and that's not to point the finger. It's just to say that like, because we're all trying to build our thing and grow our thing and increase profits and build our brand and yada, 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 uh, we avoid inefficiency and unpredictability. You know, we want to, we want to, we want to have a plan that has guaranteed results and we want to stick to it. And uh, that's not always going to be what creates an environment for that. That sort of mentality can, can stifle the creative brains, I think. So let's talk about the creative process because that's something you've done. I've, I've watched your comedy for a long, long time. And it always, I have this like envious spot for comedians, people who make me laugh and to, to, you know, you have made me laugh as hard as anybody has made me laugh, whether that's live or, you know, on stage or your videos or some of the stuff you've even pulled down off the <laughs> internet you. for a variety of reasons has made me laugh so hard. Like oh, your one for one video oh, that you did for Tom's oh. back in, oh, I don't know when that was. That was, yeah, I, I don't, don't know if we should talk today. about that video, but that was but at the really time, funny. No. <laughs> it wouldn't fly today. No. But at the time, it, it was it was perfect. And in, in the, the whole business video you did, you know, the rental car one where you where yeah. I think it was uh, Tyler was at a rental car counter and uh, trying to rent a car. I mean, some of that stuff. And then some of the comedy nights you would do at Orange Conference, et cetera. I mean, just could not stop laughing. Yeah. But all of that starts with yeah. creativity. It comes with an idea. And I wonder, every creative process is different, and I'm sure yours is evolving. But for the leader sitting there who's like, you know what? I say I value creativity, but you called me out, Trip. I'm probably not mm -hmm. that creative, and our company is not that creative. Can you break down the creative process as you've experienced it and explored it? I am willing to try. I think that uh, that's a big question. Okay. I can tell there. you that there are some principles that I found to be consistently true. That when when revered, these principles can have a massive impact on a person or a team's ability to create. Um, I think for one, I'll just I'll just go right to the the the, the thick of it here. I think our ability to create is is a derivative of our ability to be open. And what I mean by that is we have to deal with our pain. We have to be people who can listen and be in the present. And when we can get there, the more we can get there, that's a lifetime pursuit, right? But the more we can 
get outside of our dumb little mental frameworks that contain us, that, that, that cause us to categorize things. The more we can acknowledge how small those little frameworks are in our brain and get outside of it, the more open we are, the, the, the more likely we are to recognize a fresh perspective, new ideas. One of the most powerful exercises that I've ever incorporated in my own life, and I now teach it, is the morning pages routine. I don't mm. know if you've read uh, The Artist Way. I have not, no. But that stupid little, oh, it's it's fantastic. It's, it's, a, it's a book on spirituality and creativity. And it's just, it's one of the, if there was, if there was ever a Bible on creativity, this would be part of the canon, oh, well, okay? okay. Uh, she teaches this practice called morning pages, where you just take the first five to 10 minutes of your day to write down everything that you're thinking and feeling, especially the negative stuff. We know scientifically now that what's happening in your brain is you're, you're releasing something that would otherwise like ricochet around in your subconscious all day. Um, these things prevent your op- level, your ability to be open. So the first thing I teach people who want to grow and spread their creative wings, they want to grow in their ability to be creative teams. I teach them like, well, then spend time each day like just on paper acknowledging your pain. Don't bury that. When you when you bury that pain and you're looking for ways to not have to really face the uncertainties that you feel about your life, yeah, then you'll just start organizing your iTunes and you'll just do any little thing you can to feel productive, to to get those little dopamine hits of like I'm moving the ball forward, right? But but that's all just an escape too. You know, if you want to tap into your creative your creativity, you know, you got to be able to sit in the present with all of it and you got to be willing to feel it and acknowledge it, call it out and own it. I just said like so many cliche things there, but it's hard not to talk in cliches because it's just true. Hmm. Okay. So that would be the first thing I would say openness, practicing, facing your pain. Pain, if I can drill down before you get to number two, pain and comedy are very related, are they not? I mean, the 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 study I've done of comedy. Of course. A lot of Canadians are a lot of Canadians. A lot of Canadians are comedians. That's another thing. But a lot of comedians great they, comedians. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of comedians really struggle with some pain in their life, a mm-hmm. tough childhood, an addiction that they're carrying, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Why why do you think pain mm-hmm. and comedy are related? There's probably some really smart philosophers that could give you the right answer to that question. I can say it makes sense to me intuitively whether or not I can put words around why, but um, I think that for some people, comedy is a is the relief. It's the um, you'll see overweight people, they're the ones that make the fat jokes on stage, right? Like there's a, there's a, a when you can laugh at what hurts, it, it gives you a little bit of relief, right? And I think that's healthy. But what I wonder about some of these famous comedians who had dark lives or they would suffered from depression uh, to the point of suicide, uh, I wonder if they didn't become too dependent on their craft. Uh, 
I don't know. Who's to say? But maybe there were other ways to face that pain that would have been more productive. Um, I think that's really good insight. Maybe. I mean, I I definitely know comedians who uh, they live on the surface of life. You know these people. Like everything is a joke. You can't have a serious conversation. It gets derailed with a joke. If you try to get deep, a joke. If someone's emotional, they they escape with you. These are people who they understand comedy, but they've never faced their pain, right? Like they can't go there. And comedy becomes a remedy and an escape, sort of uh, both and somehow. I get that. And that's one thing I've always appreciated about Jeez, you. Jeez, Carrie. You're asking me such like deep questions that I, I like I'm nowhere near qualified to answer stuff hey, like this. This is man. just an open script. I one of my goals, you mentioned openness. One of <laughs> one of my prayers, like a weekly prayer and a, a regular goal is as I get older, I want to be more open. Because I think the inevitable is that you become more close. I love that. And more certain. And you know, I definitely have core convictions, yeah. faith convictions, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to be open to different points of view and I want sure. to grow more curious. And that's one thing I that really, when I realized, I think I really want Trip on the podcast, like, because we would always meet backstage, is you're not one of those guys who's like always cracking jokes. Like you can be funny on the spot and you are, but there's like layers and depth to you. Yeah. And, you know, you really think deeply about issues. And I thought, oh, this can be a, this can be a great conversation. And a, a side of Trip. I'm not actually no, funny. No, you're, you're not. Like, like in real life, you're just, I'm not. I'm a serious guy. Like, like if you're I, in a green room, it's like spot the comedian. You would not naturally go to trip. He's having a meaningful conversation in the corner with someone. And the deeper, the better. Which is great. I think that's good. Yeah. I guess I have two gears. Huh. I remember driving home from college. I went to Asbury College in Kentucky. My family lived in Georgia. And so, you know, what you do is you find someone else during the breaks that lives in your area and you carpool home. And I remember riding home with this girl and about halfway there, she said, Trip, like, I thought this was going to be, I thought we were going to be, I thought that you were going to be more fun and funny than this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do with that. She's like, all my roommates were like, you're riding with him. It's going to be, it's going to be hilarious. And I, that was the first time I really got that feedback. And I realized, yeah, I'm, I guess, I guess when I'm one-on-one, at least, you know, you're not my audience right now. Um, the girl in the car is not my audience. When I'm sitting around with my friends, I mean, trust me, we laugh, but. Actually, that's yeah. one of the things I found I really like interesting and really endearing too. about you uh, is is to see the layers. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, very much so. Well, good. Because I, 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 w- I would be fine hearing that it's a huge disappoint- <laughs> see, disappointment a as well. Uh, that's, there you go. Uh, okay, so that was number one, openness and morning pages okay. and getting in touch with your pain yeah. and just kind of letting it fly. I think that's a good yeah. leadership tip because honestly, the number of leaders who are just distracted day to day, as you say, organizing their iTunes or doing meaningless stuff or unloading on staff, I think a lot of that is the stuff that mm-hmm. we don't get out one way or the other that just kind of sabotages our day. Yeah. And you know, like when you're like a leader, especially like a high level leader, your 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 stresses are piling up typically you're oftentimes increasing the amount of of things in your life that are causing you to feel pain or uncertainty and that's just the reality um 
So I think what I notice is that some high-level leaders, instead of embracing that and feeling figuring out how to face that, they just double down on their their productivity and their success and their growth. And they just get addicted to all the things that they can do to make people applaud and pay them more money. Um, I, and we know what happens in the end of those stories. Yeah, we do know what happens in, in, in the end. I have this post that I've never written, but probably have to write at some point. It's like how much church growth and organizational growth is actually fueled by our insecurities and our, uh, our dark side. I don't know that I want to know the answer to that question or even that, the answer to the question in my own life, but I suspect it's more than we let on. Okay, so that's but number Carrie, one. Carrie, I love two. that you ask that. I love that you're even writing yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like I look back on my life and I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I'm through it. It's a process. But yeah, I think that's a real, a real factor. Like how much of my insecurities, how much of my challenges, how much of my personal junk, uh, fueled growth. And then if you really want to go deep, does that mean God wasn't in it? Okay. Yeah, you, you do. But does that mean God wasn't in it? No, I, I don't think he wasn't in it. I think he, you know, I think he uses it. It's fascinating. It's weird. He uses our brokenness. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, horribly abusive things that we keep hearing about, but I'm, 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 you know, it's just a really perplexing area. So there it was is. a second point somewhere along the line to uh, the creative process. Well, you asked me, we like, were. what are those principles? And I said, the yeah. first one that comes to mind is openness. Um, there's more. Um, yeah, let's go. I think that confidence is another one. And these are all related, right? I think that the more we become willing to take little or even big risks with their ideas. Um, the more we get used to our own bad ideas, uh, the more confident we become in expressing them. Talk to any successful stand-up comedian, and they're going to tell you the first year or two of their stand-up career was terrible. And they're going to be like, this is just what you have to do. You have to go through it. You got to get used to like crickets and no one laughing and bombing. And then once you build up that resilience, you build up confidence. And Mm. I really believe the secret to brilliant ideas, that the secret to finding the brilliant idea is the exploration of the 999,999 terrible ideas. That's just, that's just what you have to be willing to go through. And, And that's not that's not organizational efficiency, right? That's a meeting where you go down rabbit trails. And when someone throws out some really stupid, silly idea that would never work, that's going, oh yeah, that's crazy. Let's talk about that. And you just keep going. You do that enough times and you're going to strike gold. But it just requires that sort of non-linear process. So I'd love to go there. Okay. Uh, bombing, because we have a ton of communicators here. I just think for preachers, and I've, you know, and I'm I'm not so much preaching these days as as giving a talk, but I gave a talk the other day in Chicago, and it was a combination of uh most of the audience was on video. There were a couple hundred people in the room, and they had created what I call a bowling alley 
for the camera so that there were no people oh. between me and the camera. They're like, look at the camera. Uh, so there's no people I can see. Don't look at the crowd, but the crowd is to the right and to the left. Yeah. So I'm trying to be obedient, look at the crowd. And then most of these people are international. I didn't realize until after that uh, half the room is getting simultaneous translation. So I'm dropping what I think will be jokes and it's quiet. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all right, keep going. And, you know, I've been, it's not my first rodeo. So I'm going and, and in the middle of the talk, I'm like, I think I'm bombing. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm bombing. And it's just like, okay, you know what to do. You're a professional. You've done this before. Just keep going through keep your content. Going. Don't worry about the reaction. But I'll tell you, the, the emotional journey mm-hmm. that that is, for me anyway, on stage, is, is horrible. It's, I it's found bad. out after that the translation was happening in the room. Uh, and, and then there was a long line of people who came up to express gratitude. And I'm like, okay, I guess I didn't bomb, but man, it felt like I was bombing. And that's like, one of the, my nightmares, like when I have nightmares, I'm bombing Mm -hmm. on stage somewhere. Like people are walking out while I'm talking now that's 28 counseling sessions to unpack and a whole bunch of therapy. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Please bring on heaven. Let's unpack that. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. But what do you, what do you do when you're bombing? Like I, I, I've rarely, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. What, what do you, and what's happening inside you? Uh, I'm dying inside. Um, I remember one time, Carrie, this is so funny. I've never told this story. Tyler and I were invited to perform at a company Christmas party for this. I don't think they're a national brand. They're, they're definitely statewide here in Georgia. And it was in a brewery and they, they rented out this big event space inside of the brewery. And they had different bars and kegs around, but there were no tables, no chairs, right? So people were just kind of congregating and gathered. And there's this little wooden platform. And they said, all right, in about 15 minutes, you guys are going to go up there. And in our mind, oh, so between now and then, you're going to like set some chairs out. You're going to kind of, someone's going to get on a microphone and say, we're going to be starting. No, no. In 15 minutes, what she meant was, you're just going to walk up onto that platform and start telling jokes to a completely non-captive audience. So Tyler and I got up there and we had to go 45 minutes, mind you. And we could tell five minutes in that we were like, no one, there were people seven feet from us with their back turned to us talking to a group of people, right? The sound was bad. (laughs) And we we looked at each other like, we're just going to have to do this, aren't we? Yeah. And we knew, and we performed into thin air, Carrie. And now it's something to laugh about. But in the moment, it was like, who am I in this universe? Where did I go wrong? Like, I wasn't, this is not why I got, I got into this because I wanted the affirmation of an audience, not because I wanted to hear myself talk. So yeah, that's, it's, it's tough. But that's the story of any performing comedian. I'm not even a stand-up expert. And I know that. Hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting that bombing and confidence are related. I would not naturally yeah. have connected those two. So the constant what if I if I want to make sure I understand what you're saying, the constant failure leads to confidence. Is that it? I, I'd say it this way because I, I realize that is confusing. I would say that oftentimes the really stupid idea is the one that leads the, to the brilliant one. Uh, there's a story that 
I love telling this story, and I'm sorry if anyone listening has heard me tell this story before, but this is a true story about a uh, an energy company on the West Coast, Pacific Gas and Electric, PG&E. They're they're big. They're big. If you if you're on the West Coast, you know PG&E. You probably pay them every month. Well, they had this issue with a with 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 power lines that ran through this Northern California mountain pass where they got a lot of snowfall every year. And it was very remote. So what was happening every year was the ice was building up on these lines and then they would snap. But it was so remote that the expense to send a crew out there time and time again every year was getting out of, out of hand. And it was dangerous for the people that they would send. So they called together a creative brainstorming session and they invited people from all different departments of the company. That was the first thing they got right was they had everyone from mail clerks to decision-making executives in the room to formally brainstorm how in the world they were going to solve this problem. During one of the breaks, one of the linesmen was joking around. It wasn't, it was telling a funny story about how he was out there on one of these mountain passes and got nearly chased to his death by a bear. And he told the story and then they reconvened into their meeting and someone jokingly said, how about we train bears to run out of the woods and shake the power line so the snow falls off? And then, <laughs> right, everyone was laughing and then someone else piled on, no, we don't have to train them. Actually, we could just put honey on all the poles and they would run out naturally and maybe shake the poles. And then someone was like, yeah, and then, then all we have to do is fly over with a helicopter a couple times a year, drop honey on the poles. Here's the fascinating thing. To this day, as far as I know, the way that they solve this problem is they fly helicopters across this mountain pass at a low altitude and the downdraft from the propeller knocks the snow and ice off the lines. So the moral of this story is don't be the A-type person in front of the room that stifles the creative process. Don't shut down the dumb ideas. Let them go. Because those are the ones that will usually inspire the brilliant ones. There was a woman in the room whose husband was a retired military aircraft pilot. So when she heard someone say, fly helicopter, she thought, wait a second. Wait a second, Right. So what I, what I try to do in my world and what I try to help other leaders understand the importance of is have meetings where there is no editing of ideas. It's just get them all out. You know where I saw this modeled amazingly was Catalyst. For years and years on the Catalyst creative team, we would have these big brainstorms. And if you, if you negated an idea, if you said anything, this is five hours of a meeting, okay? If you said anything that sounded like that's too expensive, we did that last year. Anything that was negative, you went to adult timeout and you had to leave the room, go sit down on a chair in the hallway. Because the idea was like, this is, an, this is ideation. This is creativity. We're just gonna throw it all out there. And then the curation happens, right? But it's a separate meeting. And it always should be. That should be a separate meeting. Not the same one. That's the moral of that story. That's a that's a great principle. And I mean, I had known about that for years in my leadership and kind of ignored it. And I always did it to my peril. 
And, you know, the longer I lead, the more open I am trying to be. And you're right. There are some really brilliant ideas that get shut down every day. Okay. Anything else on creativity? We can, we can go long on this. This is super. Oh, I love this topic. And, um, I'll talk about creativity as long as you let me. I think that uh, I just, I because Carrie, I wish more people realized their own creative potential. I hate, I hate this idea that creativity is something that artists and performers experience in their life. It's not true. In fact, there have been studies that have shown uh, that creativity isn't really even genetic at all. Creati- creativity is often the result of practicing. And yeah, creative kids grow up in families that encourage creativity. They, you know, they, they do art classes. They, the, it's, it is nurture more than nature. Um, and so I, I, and I hate that there are people out there who don't get to experience the joy and fun of having new ideas and exploring them and bombing. So when you and Tyler, you and your team are sitting down and you're thinking about, okay, what are we going to do next for the next sketch? Or Mm -hmm. we're going to emcee this event. What would a typical process or sequence look like from meeting one to, all right, the show's tomorrow? What does that look like? First, I should... I feel like I should be honest and say, oftentimes I am the person in the room shutting down the ideas. Uh, this is a, this is something I have to work at. Uh, I I understand the anxiety of that comes with there being uh, deadlines and financial pressures. I get it, but but our process it depends. If we're talking about a video. Let's say we're making a comedy ad for a brand for the for the Carrie Newhoff podcast. Okay, if that's what we're making, then um, we are going to do lots of homework first before we even getting into into our ideation. The thing that I've learned the hard way, and and way too late in my career did I understand this, that the success of our video almost completely depends on how well we actually understand our audience. And we didn't have to think about that as much when we were just YouTubers and we were just making whatever we thought was funny. But once we got into the world of advertising and branding and all those things that probably just stifled creativity in the end anyway. But once we got into that world, um, we realized that, okay, we have to actually do work here. Um, We have to understand what our audience feels, what what are their pain points, what are their hopes and dreams, where do they spend time? And, and we can't, we have to do our best to not assume that. So for some of our brand clients, we will do uh, actual message testing campaigns. So before we even write a video script, we we come up with 10 to 15 different versions of their brand message that are focusing on different value propositions. And we run Facebook ads to see what people actually click on. Because we know that we might think, we might think this is what people are gonna click on, but we have learned that we don't actually know. And (laughs) so the first part of the creative process is just homework. It's just 
being a student of the audience. And that applies to hosting too. That is interesting to hear that you do that because in the early days, if you listen to Tim Ferriss talk about how he titled the four-hour work week, he did a very similar thing. He had an emotional bias toward a title with something to do with blah, blah, blah and drug dealing or Mm -hmm. whatever. I don't know what it was. And, you know, publisher was like, I don't know about that. And then they ran a bunch of, I think it was Google ads at the time. And the four hour Uh work week just kept winning over and over again. And millions of books later, it was a good decision. And I think that whole idea of market testing is a really good idea. Okay. So you're you're learning client, studying client. You will beta test some ideas, studying the audience. Okay. Fair enough. Same with an event. If if I'm hosting your event, Carrie, we're going to be on a lot of Zoom calls talking about years past, who's there, where are they coming from, what are they, what are they probably feeling when they're sitting in those seats. I want to know everything I can about who I'm talking to. Um, that's the first part. Yeah. Wow. And where does it uh, where does it go after that? Then we get into the brainstorming. The next phase is always unfiltered ideation, and. It's tricky because I'd like to I'd like to say that we just have a, a one meeting like PG and E had, and that's all it takes. But it, it it's hard sometimes to contain the creativity in that way. Oftentimes it takes one or two meetings with some some time in between. But we are I like I like margin. I like to schedule margin in the creative process. Can we write a script in one day? Yes. But if we can brainstorm on a Monday and not write again till the next week, I just think that there's opportunity for something to happen. And it may not, but I like margin. I like to sit on and wrestle with and play around with ideas. And then then we just kind of know the general direction. Like we all kind of feel it. Usually our clients feel it. Like sometimes we'll pitch two or three ideas to them big, big ideas, big concepts for a commercial or a video, but I avoid that. And I usually tell them ahead of time, you might want me to pitch two or three ideas, but I don't want to do that because what I'm probably doing is pitching you the one that I like and then putting two more in there because you wanted to see three. And and then you're going to, if you pick one of the ones we don't have energy around, that's not good. So why don't we why don't we present to you where we feel creative energy and see if you feel it? And if you don't feel it, we'll go back to the drawing board. But the goal there, once we once we get to the ideation, is to figure out where where our energies are aligned, and it, it it's it almost always is is easy to see. Okay, this is. I'd like to go back a little bit when you're in the uh, brainstorming the ideation process. Yeah. Do you have an ideal number of people who participate in that kind of thing? Is there a range? Um, no. Um. Sometimes budget uh, is a factor for how many people we can invite in. My goal, if we're doing a brand video, my goal is to have my team, which is two or three people usually that would be involved in these, um, at least one outside creative, a writer, comedian, someone of that nature, and at least one industry practitioner. So if we're doing a video for a tech company that sells cloud data management software, which we have done, I will try to find someone who works in IT at another enterprise who might be interested in purchasing this and I bring them in. And that way we're getting someone 
who can, can who can speak a language that we don't know how to speak, right? So you get the inside that would be the jokes, minimum, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, that would be the minimum because we we know when we were brands in different industries, we can't possibly understand all of the nuances of every industry, right? So mm-hmm. we know that we need outside perspective. So it sounds like it's usually a handful and a bit. It's not twenty people. It's not no, no. It's um, it's, it's a smaller number. Uh huh. Ten or less. Okay. Yeah. Great. And uh, and then is there? Okay, I think you've sort of answered the next one. But I'm thinking of like in a church or in a corporation, uh-huh. people are trying to implement this. Uh, who should be in the room and who shouldn't be in the room? If you're choosing who attends mm-hmm. the meeting, are there any like yeah, don't invite these kinds of people? I'm wondering. I guess it's as much mm-hmm. personality type as position. But what are you it what definitely? Are you that's for? definitely true. Uh, ranking is the least important thing. Uh, I think that male clerks and janitors and executive assistants should be invited into these kinds of things. I really do. But I I do think there are some personalities that can be toxic in a brainstorm. Um, we did a whole video about this one time. Uh, there's negative Nancy. There's There's the person who negates. They, they, they hear an idea through the lens of why will this not work, right? And they, that kills the energy. It just kills it. There are, there's some people who, uh, this is, this sounds backwards, but sometimes I think the most egotistical people in the room are the ones that say the least. Like it's easy to identify a big ego when a person walks in a room and they're demonstrative and they do all the talking and they like being up front. But I think the people, sometimes the people that care the most about what other people think about them are the ones that are just saying nothing. Because, and so I think, uh, I'm, I'm not talking about introverts, okay? That's a whole nother yeah, conversation. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's another nuance to how we include introverts in our meetings. But I do think that in general, Egos are bad. The big ones, the demonstrative people that steamroll, those people are toxic in meetings. And also the people that don't know how to be vulnerable enough to share at all. They make other people feel uncomfortable. Um, And so- And is that because they feel that this is beneath them or they're insecure or- I think it's insecurity sometimes. I think some people um, just aren't at a place where they- know how to be vulnerable vulner, vulnerable enough to share an idea. And it's not usually the it's not a fault of their own, probably. And maybe it's good for those people to be in those meetings for their own development. But the best meetings happen, in my opinion, when you have a room full of curious, conversational, imaginative people. Hmm. That's good advice. Okay. Well, I think we've walked through that. Is there anything else on the creative process you want to share? Because I got a bunch of other questions. Um, nah. We can, okay. we can move on. Well, Adam Grant, this is super high praise, <laughs> says you're the best MC, the best event MC he's ever seen. And that is really high praise. Uh, we have a lot of hosts listening, and a lot of you will know uh, Trip and, and Trip and Tyler from hosting big events like Catalyst mm-hmm. and LeaderCast, et cetera, throughout the years, as well as for their videos. And 
you know, I think you you either posted or you messaged me with your hosting reel, which was super impressive. I want to get to that. But it blew me away at the level of thought that because I think I think the impression that I had is, oh, some people are just naturally funny and you get up there and you're just naturally funny and you MC the event and away you go there. You make it look so easy. It feels like you're winging it and nothing could be further from the truth. So uh, let's start here. Okay. What are some of the do's and don'ts of hosting well? Because we have a lot of people who host services, host events, listening. Uh, mm-hmm. Do's and don'ts for hosting well. I already said one, do your homework. Know your audience. Be an expert on the program. Uh, that's how you build trust. As soon as people feel like you understand them, you earn their trust. As soon as they can tell that you really do know what's going on in the room, they trust you. And that's ultimately what you're doing as a host, is you're building trust. You're a guide. You're like literally the guide of the room, right? And so what I try to do is find a way as quickly as I can. If you look in my hosting script for any event, you're going to see a placeholder that says like, I don't remember what I write there. It's a little different every time. But my goal right in the beginning is say something that immediately clues these people in on the on how well you understand what they are feeling right in this very moment, right? So if there's something like glaringly weird about the room, I acknowledge it. If it's cold, I acknowledge it. If I know that they've been through a bunch of really dumb, boring team building exercises the whole day, at the risk of pissing off the executives, I say, welcome to the next programmed thing that you have to do and pretend that you're excited to be at, right? I want, I want them to know I get you, right? I'm here. I'm in this with you. That's the first do. Know your audience. Um, a don't would be... What's the best way to say this? The thing I have to work on the hardest is not needing anything from my audience in return. That's the price of admission right there. Wow. I Not needing anything from your audience yeah, in return. I'm there to serve. I'm there to give. I'm there to bring light and joy and direction and empathy. It's nice when I get a big laugh. It's nice when at the end of the event, they're like, did you guys love having trip here? Who loved having trip here? That's nice. Even though, you know, they all do it and I'm kind of used to it by now. But I try to just not need that and find the satisfaction I'm looking for and how well I can tell the audience feels guided, right? I try to sense, am I helping these people? Or am I up here just going through some sort of emotions that... Let me tell you, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, no, I want to hear you. And then I have a, a interjection. I was going to say question. like, I've, I've growing up in the church, I've, we've all seen the host going through the motions. Oh yeah. They say the <laughs> same thing. They're on a script. It is basically white noise. And no right? one's engaged. Because it's like, when is this? Over? No one's engaged. Right. Right. Can we get to the sermon? That's why I'm here. <laughs> right? I'm either here for the song. What's this guy wearing a t-shirt over a collared shirt doing on stage? Like, I don't care about, like, I don't care about the announcements right now. Like, 
I know you're so glad I'm here, but you're not. You're probably like mad at your wife right now about something. And that's what you're really thinking. You're not, you don't care that I'm here. You don't even know that I'm here. It's very easy in a church service to go through the motions, right? Right, right. Oh, so don't go through the motions. Okay, what was I going to ask? I don't yeah. know. You made me laugh. You really made me laugh. Oh, yeah. I know what I wanted to ask you. This goes back to bombing. So you don't need anything from the audience. So that's no. really big. And, you know, that's where I was the other day. First of all, if I had done my client research better, I would have figured out that there was a live simultaneous translation in 50% of the <laughs> right. room when I was going there. But I, that's on me. I didn't do it. I did a client discovery call. By the way, uh, listeners, John Acuff is brilliant on this. I've talked to John about it. He's got a whole session on his podcast about public speaking, and he studies his audience. So take it from oh, yeah. some pros like Trip and like Acuff. Uh, you really have to study your audience. But back to your point. So you don't need anything from your audience, but you said, okay, you're up there. Maybe you didn't, let's say you didn't get the big laugh. Let's say it's yeah. like you landed something and it didn't land. What, what happens next when you're like, okay, that didn't work. Are you going, because a lot of us, we get in our own heads and mm -hmm. we start either, well, this is the worst thing ever. I'm going to resign tonight and I'm finished or yeah. you get mad at the audience or you just get scrambled with your head and then you lose your place. So I'm in the process on my good days of reminding myself, no, you know your content. These are good people. That didn't land. Just keep going. It's okay. Just keep doing your thing. You're here for a reason. It's okay. Keep going. What do you do in that moment? I usually just do the thing that I was already planning on doing next. Um, that's good. I mean, I think that getting, when I'm derailed, it's because I was putting so much stock in a moment. I was like, this joke's going to kill. And that, that's what I was thinking about. And I've lost sight of my real goal, which is to serve the audience. I'm not even there to tell jokes. I mean, I am there to tell jokes, but I'm trying to give laughs, not get them. Right. So if, if it's not working for them, then I, I try to just keep things moving forward. Maybe this is why I like hosting more than stand-up, Carrie, because when you're doing stand-up, you have to just try another joke. I think I can hide behind a, a speaker introduction. <laughs> well, let me introduce our next speaker. That joke didn't work. Um, <laughs> which by the way, another don't is don't apologize. Like that shows insecurity. Oh, that's when, good. When you feel insecure, they feel, they, they, it, it, it makes everyone else feel uncomfortable. You know, confidence is everything, even if you have to fake it a little bit. They're looking to you for confidence, right? There's nothing more awkward than a, a bad a person telling a bad joke and then kind of getting fumbled up on themselves and 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 apologizing for it and or it, it doesn't it's not a good look from a host or a stand up. You gotta just keep rolling with it. What other ingredients are there to successful emceeing or successful hosting? the best way to know what to do next is to be as present as you can in the moment and definitely have a script, definitely have a plan, but hosting even more than, than speaking or doing standup hosting is being very aware of what's going on in the room and being able to adapt to what you didn't expect. Right. And that requires being present. And that is, that's probably the hardest part of it. That is something that I have had to work at. I still have a long way to go. 
uh, years of improv acting study, years of therapy, uh, facing my pain, getting outside of my own ego, like not needing the, the feedback and the validation, all those things help me just be with people and just notice I try to listen as a host. I try to be on stage listening to them. What are they doing? Are they paying attention? Do they seem like they know what's next? Should I just walk down there and talk to them? And sometimes I do. If, if, I, if I start to feel like they're not into me performing on this stage, I just walk down there with a microphone and I start asking them questions and I start making sure they know this is about them and not me. Sometimes that doesn't even work, right? But at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do is just be there in the moment, present. That is really, really good advice. Um, Want to talk about, and this is a bit of a, a hard right or a hard left. That's fine. But your MC reel yeah. and your website are brilliant. <laughs> You're so They're kind. really, really You've good. You've been so you... affirming about that reel. I appreciate that. I love it, Thank man. You. It's really Thank good. Thank you. I mean, you own a video production company, so yeah. you did an excellent job on that. But talk about the value of that. Because we do have creatives listening yeah. to who are trying to get noticed in this big sea of creatives. Well, I'm going to get kind of personal then. Um, the yeah. reason I made that real is because I realized in 2021 that my heart was more in that than running a video agency. And I decided that instead of hosting and speaking and, and consult, all these things that I do that, that are in person with people, instead of those being sort of a byproduct of my video business, I wanted to actually focus there and pursue those things. And so that was sort of step one. It was like, okay, Maybe you should let people know what you do because I don't really market well. Uh, I love studying marketing. I love helping other businesses market, but I'm a terrible self-marketer. And that's my own ego. That's not like, you don't mistake that for humility, okay? It's, uh, it's my own insecurity and lack of confidence. And sometimes for me, self-marketing brings this whole new crisis of, of like, okay, is this really what I want to do? Because I could, I could do this, or I could do this, or I could do this. And if, if I put this out there, this is kind of now this is the thing. And, and I have, I do all this swirling. And so this was a uh, this reel represents a point in my journey where I realized this is what I want to be out there doing. I think this is the best way I bring light and joy into people's lives. Uh, so let's tell people about it. That's all that was. What are, because uh, your production is excellent. Thank you. Like, I, I enjoy it. It's a, what, so Green Tricycle has become very, very video? Yeah. We rebranded yeah. two years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what, when you're, when you're putting a reel together, when you're putting a, a promotional mm -hmm. piece together, you know, and let's say it's not comedy. Let's say it's more yeah. traditional in the sense. Again, a lot of creatives listening. What are some keys to effectiveness? Like you clearly storyboard things, but just walk us through how to make something that really gets noticed and yeah. gets a guy like me to who sees a million of these things go trip. That was excellent. Like, um, what are, what, break it down for us. I don't know what the real rules are. Um, I do know, I know what the data would suggest is that anyone who watches it is probably going to watch like 15 or 20 seconds of it. 
So like if they can't watch 15 or 20 seconds of it and get the essence of what you do, um, it, you need to rethink that first 15 or 20 seconds. Uh, that's, that's true with internet content in general, right? If you can win them over in that 15 or 20 seconds, then they might watch the rest. So I put a lot of my thought into, okay, so who are the people watching this? Like I could just put all the funniest stuff right away, right? But I actually know that event producers who are looking for a host, even if they're wrong about this, the thing that they're most looking for is someone that they can trust as a presenter, right? So I front loaded my reel with a bunch of clips of me being very buttoned up and friendly and warm, right? And the further you get into it, the more you're going to see that I get like really zany and do out of the box stuff, right? But I tried to imagine who's watching this. I mean, sure. I know some people are watching it that are just my friends and followers, but who are the people that will hire me and what are they looking for, right? I, I, I'm glad you like it. I feel like it is definitely a V1 and it needs a major overhaul. It's, it, I didn't even follow some of my own, own rules. It's too long. Um, and so I guess then the, the next thing I would say, if you're a creative out there and you're trying to make a reel, or if you're not a creative and you're trying to make a promotional video, or you're working with an agency that's making a promotional video, or you have a video guy on your team making a promotional video, doesn't matter. If you're trying to promote yourself, the only thing that matters and is whether or not you understand your audience and what they are looking for and what they need and what they're feeling. Otherwise, they don't care what you have to say about yourself. They just don't. We're all, if you've ever gone through Donald Miller's story brand, you know, he teaches so well that we're all trying to survive and thrive. And our brains are all trying to conserve calories. We don't have, we don't have time or energy to waste listening to people talk about themselves if it has nothing to do with our own needs to survive or thrive. So how is your audience trying to survive? How are they trying to thrive? Let them know how you can help right away in the first 15 seconds. I'm on such a high horse. Like this is something I do so well, but I'm again, like my reel is, uh, it's very hard to make a reel about yourself. It's very hard to see the forest for the trees, right? Yeah, but you have some fun stuff in your website, like where you're doing your bio and at the very bottom, it says, why are you still scrolling? Like that guy. That was you know, I put that there because I, I'm not good at websites and there was like all this extra space. And I'm like, if someone kept scrolling, because I don't know how to get rid of the space, I want to make it worth it. Right. So here we are. Yeah. Well, you and I have been around the church for a long, long time. I, I was just consulting with a, with a very large mega church today. Uh, uh-huh. about their reboot post-COVID and everything. Uh, if you could give the church advice on branding, how would you advise the church in this moment? That's a big question, but I, it's an important one. I appreciate that you're asking. Yeah. Um, we could do a whole other episode on this question, uh, but I, I would say what first comes to mind. Is that even the smart thing to do? Share what comes to your mind first? Isn't that like unwise? 
I, I think I listened to somebody who said that actually your first idea is often iteration one or two Was is, it Picasso? Is, is where the money is. So I think you should go with your first idea. <laughs> Did he tell you? Was it yeah. Picasso? Was it Trip talking about Picasso? Um, Perhaps it was. Perhaps it was. I I wish the church would just kind of chill. Like, you, the church's anxiety is really showing right now. And I get it. It's hard to know what to do with all these outspoken people who are leaving. It's hard to know what to do with attendance numbers. And but I think when when the church gets defensive, it's showing a lack of faith and it's showing anxiety. And it's showing that maybe you don't really believe that there's a bigger, more powerful being behind all of this if you're having to apologize for it. And I just sometimes want to be like, chill out, guys. Chill. Just like love people. That's so cliche. But like just, you know, like be Jesus in the midst of a world full of people asking hard questions. Well, you and I have seen the church from the inside out. I mean, that's what happens when you do the circuit. And I mean, and and you know, I'm I'm a fan more than a critic. I'm a I'm a follower more than a you know, angry guy or whatever, but you also see, you know, it's like that post I talked about. How much insecurity has driven all of this? How much uh, of our dysfunction is is driving the desire for church growth. And then the anxiety, you know, this whole thing about we really do love our full rooms. What is that about? That's what is that about? You know, and on the one hand, it's really course. well motivated. Like, yes, we want to see more people come to full life in Christ. And on the other hand, it's like, and yet you turn the rock over and there's a little bit of slimy stuff. I think on the I think feeling the the yeah. anger and the bitterness is part of the journey. I mean, I've definitely been down that road. I've been way down that road and I've reconciled now that some of the seasons of of my adolescence where I was the most engaged in the church are are seasons where I was getting the most baggage and receiving some of the most value. And and I've I I it's hard to reconcile that, but at the end of the day I was I was getting love. I was receiving love from mentors and adult leaders. I was I was learning values and I mean I could go on and on about the value that I gained from growing up in the church, right? Um and if you wanted to have a conversation about some of the the baggage, some of the bad theology, some of the the toxic leadership that I experienced, we could talk about that too, right? Um what what were some examples of the toxic leadership that you experienced along the way? Hmm. You know, I got to be careful what I'm going to say um, because I don't. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I, I, I'm. I consider myself very lucky, blessed, fortunate. All the things to have grown up with such amazing, amazing leaders in my life. I mean, it's it's really unfair 
when I think back even to high school, even the having the kind of youth pastor I had, um, who would show up in my life when no one else would, you know. Uh, but I think I grew up in a in a a world where the most important value was having the corner on truth. And so I was taught early on that if you want to know God, you have to understand him. And you have to know how all the pieces fit together. And if you sound like you don't know, then you don't know God. And that's a very oversimplified way of putting it. But what I've had to undo in my life is realizing that some of those people, usually men, um, they were they were um, insecure, and uh, it's it's gosh, this boy, this is gonna go. This is this is a big one, but I. I wrote my mom a letter the other day uh, because I have recently realized that men have hijacked divinity. And I wanted her to know, does anyone ever get emotional on your podcast? Is that a thing? Because dang it, I'm about to. I wanted her to know that while all of the men in my youth were trying to explain to me what God was like, she was the one showing me. And um, while all of the men were telling me what all the rules are, where I was falling short, what I was supposed to do, She was the one holding me and nurturing me. And and she was where I felt unconditional love. And I I want to be part of the solution to that. I'm not blaming anyone. I think culturally we're already doing a lot. But um divinity doesn't have a penis, man. It, it God is so much bigger than human biology or hormones or like, I'm sorry, but God is not this. It's easy to say. I've heard people say God isn't a man in the sky with a beard, but, but they still act like he is, right? He's not. God is whatever the thing behind the thing behind the thing that we will never even begin to understand is. And the, the older I get and the more open-minded I become, the more I realize that God is actually love. And um, we have a long history. Humanity has a long history of religion trying to steal that idea, of men trying to grab and maintain power. And um, if you can't tell, it's finally starting to bother me a little bit. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm watching my wife, Hannah, who is, you know, Hannah, 
she is she is a brilliant brilliant leader um and you know um it's hard it's hard to be it's hard to even be a woman in leadership now because it's better it's getting better okay i'm not here to be like a you know flame throwing feminist or anything i'm just saying it's you know she she i hope she doesn't get mad i'm going to ask her after i say this if she, if we're allowed to keep it in here but we were shopping for cars and she's like no i'm not getting a minivan because i am trying to establish myself i'm trying to maintain the respect of the leadership and the people that are under me in this organization and i know that when i drive up in a minivan the there, there's so much baggage that comes with soccer mom with a side job right and she's like that's not who i am let me tell you she's she's she, my kids are lucky to have her as a mother she's an f- amazing mother she's an amazing wife you know she's had i've known hannah for a long time since she was in high school it's crazy she's freaking unreal okay and she has brilliant ideas you talk about creativity you talk about leadership uh her her influence on her organization uh it, it's incredible and and i see how she fights the stigma and um she does it very gracefully uh but here i am i'm going on a rant how do we get here how do we get here you asked me about toxic leadership and i started telling you about my wife and there were some tears and mm-hmm. um and you know what? I'm really glad your mom is alive yeah. to get that letter. Yeah. Way too often that happens after the funeral. Yeah. And you yeah. know, I wish. A lot yeah. of truth there. I, I think back to my childhood and I remember the judgment and it's that that almost wow. pushed me away. But I also remember mm-hmm. the grace and yeah. it's that that pulled me in. It is. I think that's a really important lesson for the church right now. And you're right. I think humility is going to be part of the path forward. <laughs> Chill, uh, grace, and and there's an authenticity and a hunger. We're trying to rebuild what fell. And I don't know that that's going to get us to where we think it will. If I could stand up and say something to the whole church, which is kind of what I'm doing right now, that's how big your podcast is. I feel like I'm talking to the all the church leaders. I would say, let the world know that you're more interested in truth than Christianity, your version of Christianity. Because if you can, if you can, if you can portray that, then we know you know whatever about your version of Christianity is true is what you'll find anyway. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what you'll really find. profound. As someone who grew up in a post-Christian culture, Canada, hmm. that really, really resonates. Because when you attach a label to it, you it comes with all this baggage. As soon as people sniff out that you are loyal to an ideology more than you are a seeker of truth, in today's day and age, there's no interest. I don't want to talk to you. I'm not interested in what you believe because I can tell you're loyal to something. And that shows an unawareness of how limited, we talked about this earlier, our dumb little mental frameworks are. 
right? Our egos, the part of our brain that's our ego, they're, they're, it's, our ego is a, it's yeah. a storyteller. It creates a framework for how I see the whole world and it's unique to me. It's all of my life experiences, all my pain, successes, hurts, all that make up this framework that's unique to me. And that's how I process and categorize things. But the more I realize that's just my dumb little ego. And if it were, if it had a corner on truth, then, then Carrie's would be the same, but yours is yours. And we all have these small little frameworks. And the more I can get outside of that, um, the more open I can be to truth and the more comfortable I can be in the unknowns and the, the areas that I'm not certain. Uh, and the more I can become comfortable with the unknowns and the uncertainties, the more empathetic I can be towards other people and the more I can, people can feel welcomed in my presence. And the more likely people will want to have a conversation with me about things that matter, like what is God? What is the Bible? All of these things, right? But I just think the church is, needs to do a little bit better at being curious, you know? <laughs> That is really well said, and I think there's a lot in what you had to say, and I think that's a wonderful, wonderful place to wrap things up. Um, thank you. Yeah, and I'm, you know what I'm fun. excited about? People, people get to see the whole other side of trip that I've really enjoyed <laughs> over the well, years. Well, this is all there is. This yeah. is the whole other side. It's, there's <laughs> it's no the more whole than this. thing. It's all encapsulated yeah. an hour and twenty minutes. Uh, anything else you want to share? trip. Uh, well, I, I mean, let me, uh, let me do some smoke blowing, Carrie. I, I, I want you to know that it, it means a lot to me that, that you have me on to have this conversation. Um, I don't get invited on a lot of podcasts because uh, most people that don't know me well, don't know that I like talking about things like this. And I think for, you know, from what I've been able to observe, knowing you and being at events with you and listening to your podcast, like, I think what you're doing is amazing. I think you are demonstrating curiosity and humility and openness. I think you do a great job of that. I think that's why you have so many listeners. You're doing, you, you are- You know, it's a big church. Yeah, but you're, you're, part of, you're part of the solution to this and I appreciate that. Well, so are you, Trip. And I just, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for the difference you made in my life. Thanks for helping me understand creativity. And thanks for mm -hmm. some really good conversations we've had on the road and today here. Yeah. Just about faith and yeah. what it looks like moving forward and how the church can still be a part of a conversation the culture would mm -hmm. like to have. It's just that conversation is changing so quickly. Yeah. And I really think if somebody listens to this three years from now, what you just said in the last 15 minutes— it will make more sense three years from now than it even does today. And mm. for that, I'm really, really grateful. Mm. Thanks for wrestling down the tough issues. Uh, there's a lot of stuff we didn't get into, but this probably won't be our last conversation. And uh, thanks for also making a few of us laugh along the way too. We need it, man. It's a great coping Me mechanism. I'll tell it you. is. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Carrie. It is, isn't it? It's it like is. after a long day, I'm like, just make me laugh for a half yeah. hour, whoever that is. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. So people, we will link in the show notes to The Real, to your website. Cool. But if people want the easy way to follow you and what mm -hmm. you're doing, where, where can they find you on social and where can they find you online? 
I'm most active on Instagram as Trip Crosby, two Ps. And if you are interested in getting more detail in, in the areas of creativity and leading creatives and all the things we talked about, I have an email list that I try to be as candid as I can about the things I'm learning and what I'm succeeding at and what I'm failing at. And you can just go to my website, tripcrosby.com. And you know, you know what'll happen. You'll get a pop-up. There's somewhere on there you can sign up. Uh, I won't spam you. I won't, I won't promote myself very much, uh, but I'd love for you to, that, that's where you can go. If you want to keep having these conversations cool. with me, that's where you go. And you're working on a book. Is that true? It is. It is. I, uh, what are you writing? I'm, I'm finally, I've been putting this off for a long time and I finally feel ready to get some thoughts on paper. Can you say what it's yeah. about or do you know what it's about? Um, it's a lot of this. Uh, yeah. the, uh, the main premise is that, this is going to sound hokey, but the phrase that, is, that I, I'm living by right now is that real is magic. It's not that magic, it's not, it's not that magic isn't real, it's that real is magic and that existence might just be the miracle we've all been looking for. And I want, I want to write about being present and experiencing people and life and um, a lot of, a lot of the tactical things about creativity and career and stuff will be in there as well. But that's the main premise. That's what I want people. I want people. I want more people to experience the magic of their life and their existence. I'll be excited to read that. Trip, thanks so much for being with us today. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, I really appreciate Trip. And if you would like to get show notes and transcripts, you can get them at kerryneuhoff.com/slash episode five fourteen. Happy to help you out there. That's also the gateway into everything else I do, and we do a lot these days. Have you checked out the new Art of Leadership Daily podcast? or some of the stuff we still write on our website or the Art of Leadership Academy, well, that is all there at kerryneuhoff.com. Check it out. Want to thank our partners for this episode. Ministry Grid is going to give you $200 off access to Ministry Grid for the entire year when you go to ministrygrid.com slash carry. You can start training your volunteers digitally today. That's ministrygrid.com slash carry. And by Tithely, we've got an exclusive free resource kit for listeners of this podcast to help you partner with your congregation financially, go to increasedgenerosity.com, increasedgenerosity.com. Next episode, really interesting conversation with Jesse DeYoung and Jim Bergen. So I first heard about this on uh, Rich Birch's podcast where Jesse was just talking very candidly and transparently, the kind of conversation you only hear behind closed doors uh, about Jim's burnout. And I reached out and they're both going to be on the podcast. And well, here's an excerpt. It was uh, years and months of pent up vomiting of emotion. You know, it's like, and like, and, and, and you haven't done this over and over and you've done this and you, uh, every time I ask you to do this and how about that thing two months ago when, I mean, I'm pulling stuff out of, and you remember the time that you did this and I'm working through and I'm basically saying, you don't exist without me. How dare you question my leadership? Also coming up, we got some incredible guests. We've got Stephen Amar, Covey, Patrick Lencioni, Tim Tebow, Nona Jones, and many others. And if you subscribe, you get that automatically. 
Also, a quick word before we close out today. For those of you who want to grow your online influence, whether that's growing the number of followers you have on social, actually read your emails, stream your sermons, or simply people who will engage with your content, I've got something free I want to give you, and it's hosted by my Art of Leadership Academy, but this one's free. It's the Influence Kickstarter. It's a mastermind that will help you with exactly that, getting the right people in front of your platform, getting in front of them, getting your attention, and getting them transformed by your content. So if you want to grow your online platform, I show you, well, some of the things that I use to do this. I mean, it grew this to 24 million downloads and my website to millions of visits a year and so on and so on. You can go to influencekickstarter.com to sign up for free. That's influencekickstarter.com for free. In a matter of hours, you can actually start growing the trajectory of your platform. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe so you get the next episode automatically. I do not take your time for granted. Thank you so much for trusting us with that. And uh, give us a shout out on the socials. And I hope you're having a great summer. We will catch you next time on the podcast. And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership.